Well, wake up, sleepers, and rise from the dead. You know what you're supposed to say after that? And Christ will shine on you. Let's try it again. Wake up, sleepers, and rise from the dead. Amen. Oh, you know, Paul was, was writing that to not the unbelieving world, but to the believing church, and he was writing it within decades of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were already beginning to drift off to sleep. It's, it's, it's hard work, right? It's an easy yoke, but it's hard work following Jesus, sowing for awakening. And if it needed to be said that soon after that day, how much more do we need to declare that word of encouragement into one another's hearts. That's the word of God, Ephesians 5.14. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. It's also a good device to use in the midst of a sermon to make sure people are still awake. <laughs> you know that word shine. It's not a benign word. In fact, there's not a benign word in all of Scripture. That word comes from the Greek term, something like, if I'm saying it right, it's always a peril, believe me, to preach in academia, okay? I've done it for 11 years. You get it wrong every time. Epipheano. Epipheano. It's a word that, that means something like reveal. Like he will reveal things to you. That he is in fact, he's not shining because we're waking up. We're waking up because he's shining. He is revealing things. You recognize the English word we get from that epiphany. Epiphano, epiphany. It's like, oh, my eye, the eyes of my heart are opened and I'm finally seeing what I've been looking at for so long. Think about those guys walking down the road to Emmaus. They're just down, downcast. All their hopes were dashed. And along comes the resurrected Son of God. And they had no idea of it, right? Their eyes had to be opened. Happened at the table and the breaking of the bread. But as they remembered that day, it says Jesus unfolded for them. He opened the word of God to them. And he taught them of how this word was pointing to him. He interpreted all the scriptures concerning him, it says. That's what seminary really is. Is Jesus coming alongside us, interpreting for us the word of God, revealing to us how the scriptures all find their fulfillment in him. Revealing, shining. But it's easy to go to sleep at the wheel. Anybody ever done that, driving? I mean, it's perilous. You, you never know the moment at which you'll drift off to sleep. And you know the crazy thing about sleep? You don't know it when you're sleeping. If you go to sleep in the car, you don't know you were sleeping till you start feeling the side of the road 
the shoulder, and you're, you're, you're awake again. I often say to people, the greatest impediment to my own awakening is the fact that I'm pretty sure I'm already awake. I'm pretty sure. But then Jesus will show me something else, and I'm like, how did I miss that? But the best line of that Emmaus story is as they're looking back and they're, they're talking to one another, they're like, did our hearts not burn within us? That's the Methodist kids here, okay? <laughs> Did our hearts not burn within us as he unfolded the scriptures to us? That's the relationship we want with the word of God, with the spirit of God, in the people of God. That's when the kingdom of God breaks out. I wanted to, um, to share from uh, my favorite parable, as you might imagine. I have the playful title of Sower in Chief, which is kind of funny because there is only one Sower in Chief. It's Jesus. He is the Sower. First parable he, he tells in his parables about God's kingdom is the parable of the Sower. And um, you know the story. He says, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow his seed. We um, have this work that we started called Seedbed. And um, every time somebody gets up to a whiteboard, I've instituted a rule. Before you can write anything else on that whiteboard, I want you to write, a sower went out to sow his seed her seed. A sower went out to sow. And if what we're doing is not coming under that banner, we don't need to do it. He uh, was scattering the seed. Some fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even a hundred times. It's the word of God. So, I'm a kind of a master of the obvious insight. I have a knack for just seeing what's laying on the surface. And you know what occurs to me about this, this text in a very obvious way? Is that the work of ministry, the work of the gospel has a super high fail rate, right? Three out of every four seeds that you sow will come to nothing. That's discouraging. You wonder why pastors are discouraged? Leaders in the church are discouraged? Because we have a 75% fail rate 
we fall in the category of losers. I mean, that's a loser. 75% fail. But one out of every four seeds sown is a home run. It's just a question of how many people were on base. Was it 30? Was it 60? Was it a, was it a grand slam? Hundredfold? Now, you, you flip that around and like, um, what baseball player won't take that? Bat 250 and hit a home run every fourth at bat. They'll take the 75% fail rate. Because, you see, the efficacy is not in us, the sowers. The efficacy is in the seed. You know what the seed is? It says it very plainly. Now, the seed is the word of God. This is powerful, powerful seed. And the, 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 the word I want to encourage you with in seminary, you know what the word seminary means, don't you? It means seedbed. That's where the word came from. Uh, seminary, the word itself, seminary, comes from the Latin word seminarius, which means seedbed. You are God's field. You know, there's, there's another text in 1 Corinthians, third chapter. Paul planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Keeps on talking. He says, you are God's field. Then like a master, he switches to buildings. <laughs> a metaphor. Paul's a great metaphor mixer. You are God's field. And... The thing I want to, the, 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 the main thing I want to sow into you today is encouragement as you've come into a place of, of, of study that you must continue to sow the word of God in the field, in the seedbed of your heart every single day. It's not enough to study it. Studying is imperative, but you have to eat this word. This word has to remain at the place of first love, of deepest nourishment. And I've, I mean, I've worked in a seminary for, you know, 11 years, and it can be the first thing to go because the word of God becomes the workshop. And, I mean, it doesn't change when you get, of course, many of you already are in the church and ministry and that preparation to preach. All of a sudden, you begin sort of thinking, well, that's, that's my heart. And it not it's not necessarily so. It can be. But this word is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. There's nothing like it in all the universe, it's able to penetrate where soul and spirit join, where bone, bones and marrow come together. This word is a living word. It uh, comes forth from God's mouth. It always accomplishes the purposes for which he sends it. it the, it's a working word. I'm constantly trying to encourage people 
start with reading it. Read it so that your ears can hear it. Read it out loud. We live in an era where the measure of things is, is reading and thinking, but the Bible talks about hearing and seeing. You can read and think and totally not hear and not see. So you want to read it so that you can hear it. Let the word get out. Faith comes how? By reading? No, by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Of course, in the history of the world, most people couldn't read. The Bible wasn't even written to be read. It was written to be heard. It is a living, active, spoken, working word. And, and, he's, and, he's, and, and the word has come together in a person. A living, active, breathing, moving, working person, Jesus. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. Wake up, sleepers, and rise from the dead. You know, I, I, I was a law, I was a law, I became a lawyer before I became a preacher. And in law school, my favorite professor was a property law professor. And property law is the most complex law in the cosmos because there, there's, no, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's purely built on history and precedent and and you can be different from, from one state to the nut, to the, from one county to another county. The laws can change on property. And so we're, tr we're trying to understand it. And what even is property, right? They tell you it's a bundle of rights. Do you own what's on top of the ground, above the ground, under the ground? It's super complicated. And one day he says to the class, he says, listen, I want you to know that, remember this, he said, one page of history is worth more than 10,000 pages of logic, right? Don't tell me what's supposed to happen. Tell me what happened. And, and I've, I've, I've never forgotten it, and it's kind of become a bit of a shift for me when I think about God's word. One word of revelation is worth more than 10,000 pages of information. This is, this is revelation. This is the word of Christ. And it can be the first thing to slip out of our attention and awareness, ironically, in coming to seminary. But remember, seminary is a seedbed, and your heart is the first seedbed. And I just want to encourage you. I love what Thomas Merton he says when it comes to scripture, he said, we should learn to cover less ground more slowly. <laughs> I mean, often you know, people trying to read the Bible in a year and then it gets to 90 days. I'm like, what about reading a few verses for the next 10 years? What about making camp at a text like Philippians 2, 5 through 11 on the mind of Christ and just camping out there for the next five years, going over to a place like John 15, 1 to 17, just, I mean, decide, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and build a cabin here because I'm going to get tired of a tent. I'm going to make myself at home in this text. I'm going to say it out loud every day. I'm going to read it. I'm going to ruminate on it. I'm going to rememberize it. 
That's the word my son made up when he was about four. We were trying to teach him to memorize scripture. He comes around the corner one day. He's like, Dad, I finally rememberized it. I said, oh, no, no, David. You, you mean you memorized it? He says, no, I rememberized it. And I thought, yeah, that's what he meant. You know what memorizing is? You know this, students. Memorizing is the quick loading of the short-term memory. It's gone. Rememberizing is the slow loading of the long-term memory. It's like, this is why when you go to a person who has dementia or Alzheimer's in the end of their life, they can't remember your name, but you crank up the Apostles' Creed or you crank up John 3.16 or you start singing Amazing Grace, they're right there with you because they rememberized it. They weren't trying to memorize it. They just kept on singing it. They just kept on saying it week in, week out. This is our relationship to this word, to this God. It's not complicated, it's, it's challenging. A sower went out to sow his seed. One word of revelation worth more than 10,000 pages of information. You know, I was talking to some donors one day for Seedbed. And I said, what if we took this text and we thought of it like this? What if you give me a million dollars? I said, well, I got bad news because right off the top, we're going to lose 250000 It's gone. Just might as well burn it. And my board was getting nervous. <laughs> and then I said, the next 500000 but I said, but good news, you know, the birds, they're going to pick that up and some of the birds are going to eat that seed and it's going to come right out the other side of the bird and it's going to land somewhere else. That's how God takes what the devil means for evil and turns it to good. Well, there'll be some salvage value there. But I said, um, the next 500,000 is going to look like it's going to be a winner. It's going to come up. It's going to grow. It's going to flourish. It looks like we're making progress, but you're going to have to watch it shrink back and, and come to nothing. So we are 750 grand down on the million dollars. But I said, if you take the last 250,000 and you just, let's just average the yield, 30, 60, 90. You know what that's gonna produce? $15.5 million. <laughs> and they're perking up. But you see, the kingdom is a different kind of sowing. Growing up, you know, particularly in this country, we want efficiency. Show me the good soil. Help me find the good soil. The kingdom is about extravagance. You don't know. It's everywhere all the time. Seed, you got unlimited seed. You just keep putting it out. Everywhere you go with everyone you meet, you're sowing this gospel. And, you know, the thing about people, sometimes we're those, that condition is in all of our hearts. Sometimes our hearts were the rocky soil. Thank God people kept sowing. They kept reseeding. I mean, think about all the people probably through your life who sowed into your life and 
And, and some of it, the birds immediately carried away. And some of it hit the, the rocky. Your, your, your heart was rocky and it couldn't take root. It tried to grow. And then the, the other, some of the soil, sometimes it's like the cares of this world. Choke it out like thorns. But then there's the good soil that comes from the Really, the process of humbling oneself. The soil, the hard pan gets broken up. The broken heart gets plowed. And some of the most broken-hearted people in the universe become some of the most flourishing seabeds in the kingdom of God. There's some of those stories here today. And there is no ground outside of the sowing scope of the love of God in Jesus Christ. We're sowing. And we need awakening. You know, every day that we're not sowing right now is a day in the future that something's not growing in our own hearts, in our homes, in our churches, in our cities. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. The power's not in us, the power's in the seed. I just, every day, please, 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 sow this word of God in your deepest heart. You are God's field. You know, I'm very excited about the, the Wesley House of Studies here. Um, it's exciting. I'm excited about Truett. Excited about Dean Todd Still. And what's emerging here? I mean, the Methodists are coming to the Baylor. How about that? I, I think of the Methodists like the hobbits of the kingdom. Okay? Okay, we're, we're small, but we did save Middle Earth, okay? <laughs> I was talking to my, my good friend, Kevin Watson, who's just moved here. And, and I think about, like, uh, I think about Billy Abraham. That's, that's Gandalf the White. God, long may he live. What a giant. He's in the communion of saints. He's in the church triumphant. And boy, do we miss him. But we need to realize he's closer than we think. But I was, I was talking to Kevin. I said, Kevin, and Gandalf is, is gone. We're so sad about it. I said, but Kevin, you're Frodo. And Frodo was the one that took the ring, right? And he said, yeah, Frodo suffered. I said, okay, I take that back. The Methodist House of Studies is uh, it's a seed. It's a sowing of the Lord, a planting of the Lord. It's small. We've been here a couple of years. And uh, I think God has really great dreams for a flourishing seedbed right here in the midst of this beautiful bastion of Baptists. We love you. 
want to show you this. Here's my vision of Hernhood, okay? I'm going to show you a five-minute video. We made this a few years ago, and um, it's, it's a brilliant story of our history, our tradition. Can we show that video right quick? Throughout the history of the church, spiritual awakenings have often begun in small, quite obscure communities of faith. And I want to tell you the story about one such community called Hernhut. It began in 1722 when a, a group of refugees approached a German nobleman called Count Ludwig Niklaus von Zinzendorf. And he, out of his commitment to the poor and needy, granted them permission to establish a new community on his land, the Bethelsdorf estate in what we would today see as East Germany. The refugees built a village there that they called Hernhood, which just means the watch of the Lord. They had high ideals, but tragically within five years, that community was riven by disagreement and discord. And one notable historian of these Moravian Christians, uh, a man by the name of Joseph Hutton, says this about that time. As the settlers learned to know each other better, they learned to love each other less. As poverty crept in at the door, love flew out of the window. Instead of trying to help each other, men actually tried to cut each other out in business, just like the rest of the world. And as the first flush of joy died away, men pointed out each other's faults and sarcasm pushed charity from her throne. Worse than any of that, there now appeared that demon of discord, theological dispute. Kansensdorf worked hard to bring about uh, unity uh, in the Hanhut community and to that end he established a rule of life called the Brotherly Agreement that they uh, entered into on August the 12th, 1727. That's often seen as the, the, the genesis of the spiritual awakening. The very next day they gathered in the church at Bethelsdorf, 13th of August, 1727. And uh, as they took communion together that day, something happened that really changed history. Count Zinsdorf referred to it later as the Pentecost of Hanhut. He called it a day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the congregation. And from that Pentecost, the Holy Spirit instigated a, a prayer watch, 24 men, 24 women, each travailing in prayer, one hour a day, continually, unceasing, a prayer meeting that would go on without a break for the next 100 years. The community organized themselves into bands of threes and fours for focused discipleship and prayer, and they began uh, to daily read a common text of scripture known to this day as the Moravian Daily Text or the Laosong. Historians point to this awakening as the birthplace of the modern missionary movement. And equally interesting is the way that Hanhut served as the seedbed of the awakening known to history as the Wesleyan uh, revival. You remember that it was on the Simmons, uh, a ship that was bound for America in the midst of a violent storm, when John 
Wesley first encountered the Moravian Christians as the ship uh, came to the brink of disaster and certain death. Wesley feared for his soul whilst these men, women and children sang songs to God. After returning to England, depressed and distraught, Wesley made haste to first of all begin attending Moravian Bible studies in London and then to go to Hamhood after his heart was strangely warmed at one of those Bible studies. The rest is, as they say, history. It was in Hamhood that Wesley got his idea for the class system, the Methodist class system. It was in Hamhood that Wesley saw continual prayer and gathered people to pray in Fetter Lane, London on the 31st of uh, December 1738. And the Spirit of God fell and that Wesleyan Pentecost took place at three in the morning on the 1st of January 1739, the uh, moment that really sparked the Wesleyan revival. May the Lord set a watch amongst us. May you renew the faith of Hanhut in our day. May you raise up a generation who will so extravagantly for the next great awakening. That's my vision for the Wesley House of Studies, a place of extravagant learning, a place of prayer, a place of banding together in deep discipleship, a place of feasting on the Word of God every day, that daily text, a place of caring for people in need, a seedbed, a place, a place, you know, Jesus said in John 12, unless a single grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it will never produce a harvest. You never want to call seminary cemetery, but there is a sense in which that's what happens in a seedbed. I saw an acronym the other day it just struck me. The acronym is LIES, L-I-E-S. It stands for Living in Ego Strength. I mean, seminary was a place for me where that got stripped away. The ego strength, the layers of my false self began to be peeled away so that who I am in Christ could begin to emerge, so that the Word of God could prune me so that I could behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror and be transformed, right, from one degree of glory to the next with ever-increasing glory, the Scripture says. And this is, this is from the, the Lord who is the Spirit. That's what He wants to do in places like this. Places like this are very uncommon in the kingdom. They are collective. Places where unusual faith collects together and where unusual faith collects together, extraordinary things can happen. I saw it at Asbury Seminary for better than a decade. So we thank uh, Count Zinzendorf here for taking in the refugees. 
<laughs> the Methodist refugees and building a, a place of, uh, of worship, a place of learning, a seedbed. And so let's, let, me, let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your people. We thank you for your kingdom. And we thank you. We bless your name because you bring all of those realities, those revealed realities into perfect, beautiful union in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, how we love Jesus. And that's what we, we just continue to to pray for this sowing of the Lord, this Methodist, this Wesley house of studies, that you would flourish it, that you would cause it to grow, that the fruit that grows from it would bless this whole institution, just as this institution has been such a blessing to it. Start a fire here, Lord. You said, I've come to this world to start a fire and how I wish that it were already kindled. Well, Lord, it's kindled here. It's kindled in this place and these men and women. So come Holy Spirit. We sow this prayer today in faith and thanksgiving. We pray for a great awakening, Father. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, JD. Why don't you stand and sing a verse and chorus as we close today.